Thank you for downloading the podcast. We believe the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Hallelujah. There we are. Praise the Lord. As we were worshiping the Lord, you could just sense the presence of the Lord flooding in here. Wonderful presence of the Lord. The Lord spoke to me and said, anytime you come into the presence of the Lord, you begin to get better. <laughs> Let me try that again. Some of you need to hear that. Anytime you come into the presence of the Lord, you begin to get better. Whatever you came in with today, if you came in with a problem in your body or a problem in your finances or a problem at your job, your business, or your mind, whatever. When you came into the presence of the Lord, it began to improve. It began to get better. Amen? I guarantee you, all you need to do is get into the presence of God, and there's no telling what will happen. Anything can happen. And when you do, always come with a receptive heart. Because I guarantee you, those that understand what the presence of God is all about, they can just begin to receive right then and there. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, you come to Island Church and say, Pastor. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? <laughs> Studying redemption, if you will. Genesis chapter 6. Glory to God. We're going to look at two men. Everybody say, two men. Never, ever, ever think that your life doesn't make a difference as an individual. I know around here, at Island Church and a lot of the places we go and a lot of the places where we speak, we always emphasize the local church and local churches are important. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm a local church guy from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. But never think that your life cannot make a difference, that one person's life cannot make a difference. You can make a difference in your neighborhood at your job. If God opens the door for you to minister uh, wherever God sends you in the nations of the world or to, a, you know, to a, a city across the causeway, it doesn't matter. One person can make a difference. And God used two men to get this redemption thing going. One of the great things about Noah and Abraham and one of the great blessings for us to understand today is God began to interact with man. Even though mankind had rejected God in his sin, and, and his uh, 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 rejecting the uh, commandment of God not to eat of the tree of good and evil. And notice how the knowledge of good and evil, evil didn't keep man from good and evil. It sucked it right into him. Amen. So they sinned, man sinned. God began to give a scripture, Genesis 3.15, the first redemptive scripture. Then we see in the first family, a murder took place between the two brothers, Cain and Abel. Then after that, God began to look here in Genesis 6, let's pick it up in verse 5. It says, And God saw the wickedness of man. Isn't that something? Saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We literally see that trait that was not of man, that was of his adversary, that was of the adversary of man and the adversary of God, Satan. The iniquity, remember what it said over in Isaiah 14. He was perfect in the day in which he was created until iniquity was found in him. What iniquity is, it is a force that is in every individual that motivates you to do wrong, motivates you to break the laws of God. We've said it many times, but it bears repeating. That's why you don't have to teach children how to be mean. You don't teach them how to, have to, uh, how to lie or how to be stingy. It's inherent in them. It's in Adam's family. It's in the spirit. It is a spiritual trait. But here's the good news. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The day you got born again is the day God, through His mercy and His grace, took the iniquity out of you and replaced it with righteousness. And the righteousness is that motivation. It is your right standing with God which motivates you to do the right thing. 
You say, but pastor, I'm still having problems. Well, you've got a mind that needs to be renewed by the word and you've got flesh that you must present unto God and bring under control of your spirit. But here's the good news. You can do it. Let me say it again. You can do it. You can live after the dictates of your spirit man. You can do it. Every Christian can. And let me say this. This will help you. If you're struggling in any area of life with healing, with, with financial prosperity, struggling in your business, struggling at your job, struggling in your marriage, let me give you a quick answer. What's on the inside of you today, which is the righteousness of God in Christ, if you will come up another level in responding to what's on the inside of you, you'll find your answer. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? What you're currently doing is not getting you what you need. Do something else. You say, what do you know? Pray a little more. Read a little more. Meditate a little more. Witness a little more. Come to church a little more. Sing a little louder. Dance a little longer. Run a little faster. Come on, church. Whatever it is you need to do, do it till you get to that level where you receive from God that which you need, whether it be healing or no matter what else it needs. God has built that in to the new creation. Amen? So we see this wickedness that's in man. And verse uh, 6 says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Could you imagine God saying, Man, I wish I'd have never done this. I'm glad he did. I said, I'm glad he did. It said, The Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now you would think, well, what about nature? Nature's innocent. But if you notice, nature is very violent. I mean, I've, I've watched before. Uh, one, one of the most amazing things I ever saw, I was down uh, wade fishing on, on West Beach. I was down there, and it was just one of those perfect early June mornings. There was just so happened to be a tropical storm off the Yucatan. The water here was just crystal clear, and I was catching trout one after another after another. Now, I watched it show you how violent, violent nature is. I could see that school of trout moving. I could see a big, big old cloud of shrimp. And they were chasing them shrimp. And those trout literally chased those shrimp up on the beach. And the trout were under them this way, causing them to literally jump out on the beach. And the birds were just eating them one after another, right after, right off the beach. Now, how'd you like to be a shrimp that day? I don't think I'd want to be a shrimp any day. I think everybody likes shrimp. Amen. Well, it just shows you how violent. Well, God, didn't God make it that way? No, God says in that millennial reign of Jesus that even the lion will lay down with the lamb. No, God put, God put provision for the shrimp. He put provision for the gulls. He put provision for the speckled trout. He put provision for all of But see, when sin got into the earth, it messed up the whole thing. Even nature got messed up. God repented from doing it. But I like verse 8. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, understand that here was a man that was choosing, everybody say choosing, not to obey the dictates of his own heart and his own spirit man, but to reject them. And obviously because of his rejection of iniquity and not obeying the dictates of his own heart, God looked down and said, I'm going to give that guy some grace. Now, I don't know how God went about communicating. We know the Bible says it's in Proverbs uh, chapter 20 that it is the spirit of man that is the candle of the Lord. So obviously man did get some enlightenment through his spirit, but not like we get today. Amen? But also, 
there had to be some spectacular manifestations. We know in Abraham's day, God appeared to him in visions. Angels came and visited his house, asked permission to be able to do certain things that God wanted to do. We know that there are audible voices, all kinds of visitations and dreams. God was doing everything he could do to communicate with man. Man was rejecting him, except for Noah. The Bible says he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now notice here. It says in verse 13, God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. My, my, my question right there, when God would have spoken, make thee an ark, I would have said, excuse me, what is an ark? Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark. Thou shalt pitch it within, pitch it without. Then it begins to give all the different details and instructions of making an ark. But actually what God was doing is God was saying, I'm going to make provision for those in whom I have grace for. Amen. Now, in these studies of these two guys, we're going to see some powerful types. Everybody say types. And shadows. Everybody say shadows. Now, I'm not near as good of a types and shadows preacher as I am a light preacher. You say, what do you mean? Well, there's really no need to live in the types and shadows when we've got the light. The light has come. His name is Jesus. But it helps us to understand this redemptive process, how God did it, how God brought it to pass, how God initiated and how God finished it. Amen? Now, we know he's not completely finished with it yet, but he's a long way down the road. I said he's a long way down the road. Now he's making provision, now think about this, he's making provision for those in whom he has grace for so that they will be able to escape judgment. Anybody get that? You say, what do you mean? If you are a child of God, God has destined you to escape judgment. I know there's a lot of preaching on cross-dispensationalism where there are dispensations that cross and there may be some judgment of God upon the earth before we go up in the rapture. I don't know. I really don't care. All I know is this. My judgment was poured out upon Jesus Christ upon the cross. I will not be judged again because I am now in Christ. Amen. Now notice this. Go on down there to verse. Look at verse 18. God's still speaking with Abraham. But I, but with thee will I establish my covenant. Everybody say covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wives, and thy sons and thy wives with thee. That's a good, good scripture for your family being saved. I said that's a good, good scripture for your family being saved. You claim it according to the promise that God gave Noah. But now here's a new word. Everybody say new word. Now remember last week we looked at three words. Identification. Substitution, union. Today our word is covenant. Everybody say covenant. Now let me tell you, covenant is a very weighty word. I do not know. I do not know if we really have the depth of revelation that we need as believers in understanding what the word covenant actually means. Now, now I did some studies and I looked at some, uh, some, some different uh, uh, definitions. Let me tell you what, let me just, I kind of reduced it. Let's, let's read a definition real quick. Covenant, an agreement and an association between two parties, stronger than a legal contract in its purest form, which is blood covenant. It is one, can't even read my own handwriting. It is one party 
relinquishing everything in agreement with the second party doing the same for the mutual benefit of both. Stronger than family, stronger than nationalities, stronger than ethnic backgrounds, or even gender. A mutual, a mutual swearing to the death of both parties in order to uphold and adhere to the terms of the said covenant. Now, I know there's a lot of words there, and that's very weighty. But in those days, what would happen? You would have a group of people who could, who could go up into the mountains, and they could farm very well. And then you'd have a group of people that they were not very good at, at feeding themselves and they couldn't farm, but man, they could sling a sword. They could, they could throw a spear. So you would get these two families that would come together. And so the one family over here were the warriors. The other family over here was the farmers. Amen. So they would actually take animals and they would cut them, not down the middle like this, but actually divide them from nose to tail, whatever the animals they choose to do, and they would create what is called an alleyway of blood. Usually the covenant was established through a marriage. Two people, one, a young man or a young woman, from whatever side they would choose, would stand in that what they called an alleyway of blood. Could you imagine what that, that's a good way to get married, isn't it? You're standing ankle deep in guts and blood. Pretty awesome scene. Standing in what's called the alleyway of blood, Usually, it would be a mark diagonally across the hand or our tradition today of the ring, they would take and they would cut a ring around this finger right here in which they would take dirt and filth and grime and cause it to become very infected and then at the point in which you would probably think you were going to use the finger, lose the finger, they would cause it somehow to heal up and it would create a real pronounced scar around the finger. Mark of the covenant. Everybody say mark of the covenant. Now, in that, in that alleyway of blood, in cutting the mark of the covenant, they would release or rehearse the terms of the covenant. The warrior family would come, and standing over their representative, the head of the family would say, we as the warrior family, we covenant with you to defend you from every foe. We defend, we'll defend you from every enemy. Anybody that will attack you, we will fight to the last man, to the last woman, and to the death. We will defend you. The farming family would come and say, we will use every skill that we have, everything that we know about farming. We'll till every field. We'll plant every seed. We'll bring forth a harvest and we'll share every bit with you and we will make sure that you are fed. Those families would come together in the blood cup. Now, say a nation came in and divided the two. Say the boundaries of that nation went on one side and the farming family was on one side, and the warrior family was on the other side of the boundary of that nation, mm -mm, covenant stronger. I said covenant stronger. Say a family, a young man, a young woman, and the, and the warriors, they run and say, we don't like the farming family. We're going to leave the covenant. You know what they would do? You know what they do when the family left the covenant? They'd kill them. Their family, would, not the other family, their family would kill them. We see this in the, and I don't want to get into depth in this, but, but we see this, Two areas I, I'll mention to you of these covenants and how they've been distorted over the years. Number one, in the American Indian. The American Indian had the land. Now, I know there were pagan practices and all kinds of things that they did. But when they went to make peace with a white man, they thought they were getting into a covenant. And because of, quote, covenant understanding, the American Indian swore to his death to either uphold the terms of the covenant 
or to destroy anybody that broke it. So the first time the white man lied, amen, they were sworn by an oath to do what? Make war. I mean, you could have gone to, to Sitting Bull or you could have gone to Geronimo or you could have gone to one of those chiefs and said, hey, come on, man. They got armies. They got cannons. They got artillery. What are you doing running to these people with a bow and arrow? Covenant. When the first missionaries began to go into Africa, they found it very difficult to reach the African people until they began to talk about blood covenant because the African people understood blood covenant even better than they did. And when they begin to understand that there was a God that loved them so much that he cut a blood covenant with himself and allowed them to be a part of it and bring them into the covenant of salvation, they understood it and received Jesus by the millions. That's the way it is today. You've got to understand that's how strong covenant is. And when you understand covenant, you'll begin to understand God began to make covenant with man. So the first one was Noah. He said, my covenant is with you. He said, I'm going to do everything I can do to keep you alive. Judgment is coming upon the earth. It's going to destroy the entire earth, all of the beasts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring in the animals two by two. We'll know that some of the other animals that were clean, he brought a different number than that, brought seven of each of them. And then he says, I'm going to take and I'm going to seal that door and it's going to start raining. But here's what's going to happen. When judgment rises, it's going to lift you up. <laughs> you missed a good opportunity to shout. I said, you missed a good opportunity to shout. Let me find it here. I read it in the first service. I thought it was pretty nice. I thought I had it underlined. Verse 17 of chapter 7. It says, the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lift up above or lifted up above the earth. Judgment comes. God's people, what happens to God's people when judgment comes? There's your first revelation of the rapture of the church right there. Judgment starts coming in on the earth. The church is gone. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? So, God calls Noah and his family to be blessed, let's go to chapter 8 and look at it just a moment. Types and shadows of different things that happen. Now notice, notice verse 6 of chapter 8. It says, It came to pass at the end of 40 days that which Noah had opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven. Everybody say raven. That's a predator. Actually, that's a type of, of Lucifer being kicked out of heaven. He said, he sent forth the raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. But now notice this. Also, he sent forth a dove. Everybody say a dove. From him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned again into him unto the ark. For then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into the ark, unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days. And he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening. Everybody say the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters were beginning to recede or were abated from off the earth. Now notice verse 12. And he stayed yet another seven days. Everybody say seven days. And he sent forth the dove which returned not unto him anymore. Everybody say three times. Say it again. Say it one more time. Three times Noah took a dove and released it out of the ark. Now at this point, types and shadows. Everybody say types and shadows. We see Noah as a type of the father, 
an ark or the ark, a type of heaven, and the dove, a type of the Holy Ghost. The first time Noah released the dove and the dove did wit. He went, but he found no place for the sole of his foot to rest. This is a type of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Ghost could only come on three types of people the prophet, the priest, and the king, and also at time to, from time to time, it would come upon one of the judges. Remember Samson. There were different judges that that spirit would come upon. But there was no abiding place. There was no place for it to stay. Inherent in the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God, and also the presence of God moved into the temple when they dedicated the temple. But the Holy Spirit himself, himself which is the active part of the ability of God, found no place. No place for it to abide. So God would receive it back into heaven. Then the second time, everybody say second time. He released it again and lo, the Bible says, here comes the dove back into the ark with an olive leaf. One translation actually says an olive branch. The olive leaf or the olive branch being a type of Jesus. We know that in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, which began when he was 30 years old, for three and a half years, he possessed the spirit of God without measure. This is a type of the second release of the dove. The third release, everybody say the third. He sent forth a dove, and where did the dove go? It went out, and it never came back. You say, where is it? Where is it? Everybody go like this. It found a place of permanent habitation. The temple cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does the Spirit abide? In the temple. Who are you? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Spirit of God is going to abide in you forever. Then God put a rainbow in the sky as a part or as a, as a sign of the covenant that He would not destroy the earth again by water. Then look at the last part of verse of chapter 8. Part of our covenant that we have with God. While the earth remaineth, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, I like this, shall not cease. As long as the... So when you get up in the morning and you get out of bed, your eyes are still kind of closed, but your feet hit the ground on the earth. Everybody say, on the earth. As long as it remains. Now, if you get out of your bed and swing your feet over your bed and you drift off into outer space, I don't know. <laughs> you may have a problem. But as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat. Oh, pastor, that global warming, it's going to be so hot. Tell that up to the people up in the northeast right now. Amen. With 30 inches of snow. No, no, cold and heat. Summer and winter, day and night. That means the things that God had set in order in His creation will remain in order. Let me say that. The things that God had put in order in His creation will remain in order. Amen? Now, God began to deal in Genesis chapter 12. You don't have to go there. You can go to Genesis chapter 22. God began to look for another man. Everybody say another man. I do not know, the Bible is not clear, if he was attempting to communicate to a lot of people or whether he just chose an individual to communicate to him. I don't know. Knowing the goodness of God, I believe he was probably trying to talk to a lot of people. Ain't no way, nobody was listening. Amen. But now all of a sudden he found this guy, Abram. 
Everybody say Abram. Now he said to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, you don't have to go there, but he's talked about how through him, through his seed, all of the earth would be blessed. Now, you think about how can that happen through one man? Everybody say one man. Well, one man is important. God was looking for somebody to also get into covenant with him. We know that Abraham had a situation. He had an issue of life. That issue of life was he was unable to have a son. He wanted an heir to that which he possessed. He had possessed, the Bible said, God made him very rich. So he had a lot of gold. He had a lot of silver. He had a lot of sheep and donkeys and camels and anything that would make a man rich back in that day. Abram had it, but he had no heir, no heir to what belonged to him. He wanted an heir. He desired an heir. But God wanted to do this. God wanted, now listen to this very carefully. Jesus said, don't be careful not only just what you hear, but how you hear it. Listen to this very carefully. God wants to bless you. Let me say it again. God wants to bless you. Everybody say this. God wants to bless me. But now listen to me carefully. His blessing upon your life is designed to bring you into greater dimensions of participation in His covenant. Now let me, let me just clear that just for a minute. Many times we have a problem. Here we stand. What's today? February 10th. 2013, we stand, we got a problem, a physical, financial, problem with a job, marriage, whatever. So we pray, God, help us, help us. We release our faith. We speak the word. All, we know what to do, amen? So in our mind, we have an idea of the answer being at us being at a place where we were before we had the problem. I remember when I had my health. I remember when my marriage was okay, when my business was okay, when my finances were okay. But God says, I do not want to deliver you back to that place because it is in that place you were vulnerable to the problem that you have today. So I want to take you to another place by bringing you into a greater level of participation in my covenant. Because of a greater level of participation, he doesn't deliver you back to the place you were before you had the No, he delivers you to another place where you're no longer vulnerable. Now you're deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Listen, I'm so far into this covenant in Christ, and I understand it's not a covenant that God made with me personally. It is a covenant that God made with his son Jesus because if he made it with me personally, I'd already be dead because I've broken it so many times. But he gave me an, excuse me, an advocate and an intercessor that every time I'm breaking, it's not based on my blood, it's based on his blood. He goes before the Father and says, I got this covered. Look at that blood on the mercy seat. So here's the deal. I'm so deep into this covenant now, all God have to do is say, I sell it all, moved after. I would be on a we'd be on a plane by Wednesday. You say, What do you mean? I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. And when you begin to understand that, Abraham began to ease into that Abram. Begin to, and God said, now look, to the north, the south, the east, the west, okay? As far as you can see, it's yours. It's yours. It belongs to you. He said, look up at the stars. Man, could you imagine? We were in Colorado when, uh, two or three weeks ago, and man, uh, the stars look a little different in the mountains of Colorado than they do on the Gulf Coast of Texas, amen? We looked up those stars, and just clouds of them. He said, look up at the stars. So shall thy seed be, as innumerable as the stars. Look at the sand on the ground when you walk and you kick the dust. So shall your seed be. As in, not only that, I'm going to change your name from Abram, chief father, to father of many nations. He's pulling him into that covenant. He actually took. God himself took. 
and cut covenant with Abraham. Abraham divided the animals, walked in the alleyway of blood. Now here's the key. The vultures came to eat it up. Who drove them off? Who drove them off? Abraham drove the vultures away from the sacrifice. That means you got to take your authority. you got to drive off that which comes against your health, that which comes against your finances, that which comes against you. You say, why? Because you're in that covenant with God in Christ Jesus. But they still didn't have a baby. They still didn't have Isaac, which means laughter. But then one day, the angel visited them. Sarah laughed. She probably laughed for nine months. And Isaac was born. His only son. His only... Could you imagine how Abram, Abraham must have felt about Isaac? This was his boy. This is, this is not only just his son. This was the result of his faith. This is proof of God's blessing in his life. This was God's approval upon him. This is my man. I'm in covenant with him. I've given him one son. You could even say it like this. His only begotten, his beloved. But now go to chapter 22 real quick. Then all of a sudden one day, God starts talking to Abraham. And look what he says in chapter 22. It came to pass after these things, what things, well, everything we just talked about, that God did prove or tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son. Now listen to these types. Can you hear the, the, the echo of redemption? Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. Say what? Do what? Now here's the key. We look at this as when we teach on the act of faith. And people say, how could Abraham so quickly and completely obey God without any hesitation, without any argument whatsoever, how could he take his only son, whom he loved, three days' journey. Everybody say three days. Three days and three nights. Three days' journey. How could he take the wood type of the cross, the knife, the type of the piercing, the fire judgment? How could he take these and offer his son? It, go over to Galatians. It says, you don't have to go there, but in Galatians it says, and God aforetime preached the gospel. Unto he knew the story of redemption. He knew that one day your seed will end up, I need a man, out of the man will come a child, out of the child will come a family, out of a family will come tribes, out of the tribes will come a nation, out of the nation will come a kingly dynasty. Out of the kingly dynasty shall come divine royalty. And divine royalty shall shed its blood for God's creation. Abraham knew that, so he did not hesitate. You say, now, what, what difference does that make? Notice, notice. It says, And Abraham rose up in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, claved the wood for a burnt offering, rose up, and went into the place where God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac, laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abram, his father. And he said, My father, he said, Here am I. 
my son? And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abram said, or Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Now notice this, they're walking together. And just like in the garden when Jesus cried to the Father, Father, if there's any other way, see the same thing's being played out, any other way, what are we doing? What are we doing here? God will provide him a lamb. And he came to the place where God had told him of. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him off the altar in the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For, thou, for now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou, not, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the steed of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, and it is written unto this day. Now you've got to see the scene that's being played out. First of all, you've got to understand, God was never for child sacrifice. That's demonic. You don't take children. Uh, Israel, uh, some of the nations around Israel were involved in that. They called it offering up to Molech. Molech was a god in which they would actually give sacrifice of young children up to them by fire. Demonic. What's God doing involved in this? You've got to understand. Covenant. Covenant. I'm in covenant with a man on the earth. I'm in covenant. My desire as the Father, my desire as God is to give my only begotten Son. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. But I have to find a man. I have to look and 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 I have to find a man in whom I can give a son, a beloved son, a one in, in whom he will love, that he will have to believe me for, that he'll have to stand 25 years, and when it looks impossible, he'll be fully persuaded that what I had promised, I was also able to perform. And then I'll put a demand upon him, because we're in covenant, and I'll tell that man, you have to be willing to offer your only son. And when God found in Abraham a man willing to offer his... Uh, you say, why didn't, he care? why didn't he have to kill him? He didn't need somebody to kill him. He just needed somebody willing to do it. And when he saw Abraham was willing, God said, that's it right there. I now have the right to send my only begotten son because I found a man in covenant with me willing to give his only son for the sake of the covenant and redemption sacrifice. Now I have the right to send the only begotten of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Now I can begin the process. I've had to destroy the world. Thank God I found a man like Noah who found grace. I lifted him above the judgment. Out of him came all of these different tribes and nations, and I found a man in Ur of the Chaldees. I found him, and he's willing to give his only begotten son. Now Jesus is on his way. I can start the process. Out of Isaac comes two boys. Out of two boys comes 12 tribes. Out of 12 tribes comes a nation. Out of a nation comes a priesthood. Out of a priesthood comes an act. Out of that act, a picture or a drama is played out of a bleeding sacrifice. Out of the nation came a, came a royal 
lineage of the seed of David. We'll study that next week. And how out of that lineage, two people, one God and one Mary. I say two people. One God and one person. God and Mary came together. And all of the word that was ever spoken from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, until the day Mary said, Be it unto thy handmaiden according to thy word, came down from the spirit realm into her heart, went through her heart and into her physical body and touched her womb. And the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, began to exist upon the planet in the womb of Mary. He said, one person doesn't make a difference. One person makes a difference. You're one person. You can make a difference. There may be one person. You say, if I only lead one person to the Lord, is it worth it? It's worth it. You say, if one person, just think of the person that went and helped minister to the Apostle Paul. We only heard of him one time, but he'll share in all the rewards. I've read a couple of books about uh, David Livingston, about how he went to Africa, and he worked so hard, and he lost his wife, and she died of a disease, and he was rejected, and, and nobody, but he won one person to Jesus. And the one person he won to Jesus opened the entire continent of Africa to the proclamation of the gospel. To this day, we still have people going to Africa in droves preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're one person. God shows us to Noah, Abraham. But in your world, you can be that one person that makes a difference. In your world, you say, well, I can't do anything. You can pray. You can believe God. You can speak the word. You can stand on what you know. You can be a light in the darkness where you may live. And I guarantee you, your life will Make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. You love the Lord this morning. Lift your, lift your hands up and just worship Him. Thank you for joining us today. We trust you enjoyed the podcast. We extend an invitation to you. Come join us in one of our services Sunday morning, 1045. Tuesday prayer, 730. Thursday evening, midweek service, 730. We are located 2411 69th Street. Galveston, Texas. See you there.